Greetings and welcome to Beatles Stuffology, where two old friends sit about and talk BS, Beatles stuff, on a track-by-track basis, pretty much for the sake of it. My name is JJ McCoy, and I'm here with my co-host, Andrew Deacon. Say hi, Andrew. Hello. How are you doing? Uh, I'm all right. I'm, if my voice is sounding a little bassy today, it's because I've, I'm stuck with a cold. I'm a bit congested, but I am fighting through it because it is Christmas time, and uh, it's just one of those things. I was I was going to ask if that was a euphemism for for all the work parties that you've no doubt been going to. <laughs> Sorry, you, you seem to have mistaken me for somebody sociable. <laughs> so we are um, the, welcome to to our Christmas episode. It's the sixteenth of December. When this gets put out into the world, although to let daylight into magic, it's actually the 2nd of December when we're recording it. Um, but yeah, we thought we would actually have a little bit of a, 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 of a lean into Christmas. Uh, we're not quite in the step into Christmas mode of Mr. John, but we're going to lean into Christmas a little bit. Um, because, believe it or not, the Beatles are synonymous with Christmas. Last year, no, it may have been last year, maybe the year before, we did talk about uh rating and reviewing all of the uh the Beatles Christmas singles and then we listened to them and decided that that was a bit of a dead end that they, they were nice and interesting but it really wasn't enough for for an episode but actually interest for me this year was kind of piqued by the um the brand new Amazon advert and the fact that the Beatles have uh come back to life in some people's eyes with them um, apparently they've they released a single um now and then I think it's called not familiar um, with it myself, but okay, okay I'll, I'll take your word enough. for it. Fair enough. Um, and of course, the Beatles have a bit of a reputation as not being, and I think we may have spoken about this before, not necessarily being most forthcoming when it comes to licensing. But actually, it kind of feels like Apple are a little bit more inclined to do it than we might think. Because of course, we have the um, the Amazon advert using the um, Stone Cold Classic future nine or ten out of ten rating on this podcast spoiler um in my life which is one in my humble opinion um one of the great beatles tracks and it ends up being in an amazon advert now have you seen said advert well i have seen uh said advert because you sent it to me and i hadn't seen it i hadn't heard of it i don't i don't watch a lot of broadcast uh tv which isn't trying to make any kind of point i just <laughs> just kind of, just, your face BBC license, yeah. yeah well, yeah, yeah you know, the yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I was, I was unaware of it until you, you, you brought it to my attention. And I think I'm correct in saying, after I'd seen it, my reaction was, "What a piece of shit." Now, I think that's not an unfair summary of it. Um, it's terrible. It's emotionally manipulative in the way that all Christmas adverts are. Um, but so yeah, I have seen it. Uh, it's awful. Okay, so you're very much going with the down is down with capitalism route here. No, it's just um, a really shit cover version. Well, no, but also in in your you know all all Christmas adverts are emotionally manipulative. Of course they are, absolutely. Yeah, but that's what advertising you, is. You, you are empowered. You can make your own choice. If you don't like now and then, it's okay to say so. Don't be don't be put off by idiots on YouTube telling you you must like it or else you're being disrespectful. Anyway. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, it is worth saying it is, you know, we, what we're talking about here um, are not obviously um, the original versions of, of these songs being used, but they are, um, you know, perhaps some twee acoustic covers at times. This this is obviously designed to play up the sweet, sentimental side of it, which is a shame because I do think in my life as a 
a little bit of a of a tougher edge to it, um, which you know we'll get into when we talk about it in about three years' time. Um, yeah, okay, but it's but it's far from being the only um, Beatles adjacent song, especially this year as well, because Apple has um, an advert that uses George Harrison's "Isn't It a Pity." Now, if you're going to be critical of major mega corporation being emotionally manipulative, <laughs> then the um um the use of isn't it a pity actually the george harrison singing isn't it a pity i mean that is kind of beyond emotionally manipulative isn't it it's just so kind of random it's it's a um um you know this person's being a bully so um co-worker is going to work out why this person's being a bully and make him less sad uh all through the power of apple uh, we're, nice. we're saying Apple, the computer company, not Apple, the uh, music label. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yes, of course. For, um, yeah. Good point. Well made. Um, lest, lest we get sued, because, of course, they're, <laughs> they're not, neither of those corporations have a track record for, uh, um, for, for pumping money into lawyers. Um, yeah, it's it's an odd one. It's, I mean, it's very sweetly done. Both that and, and the Amazon that are incredibly well done. But they are worryingly cynical um, in the way that they 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 manipulate um, a message, and it kind of goes beyond. Um, I mean, we have a lot of listeners in America, and and, and you're not going to understand this reference, but well, I'll try and explain it. On BBC TV in the daytime, we have this program called Homes Under the Hammer. It's basically <laughs> it's basically a show about buying property at auction and then um, flipping it. Yeah, quickly doing it up and then selling on. And and they use references that are so on the point. So, um, you know, sort of think of a, a, an example. Um, you know, they might really go for something. If someone walks in, has a look at the house that they're buying, goes, oh, it's a, ooh, a bit cold in here. I know what I'll do. I'll put a boiler in and that will really heat it up. They might then start playing, I don't know, Disco Inferno or something. You know, they're really on point with their references. And it feels like that's what they're trying to do here. And like, well, isn't it a pity? Isn't it a shame? Well, that we don't look after each other. So let's make an advert about about that. Um, and I think it's a bit of a shame because if you go back there to um, 2008, uh, when John Lewis uh, over here um, used... John Lewis has become synonymous with their, their Christmas adverts and storytelling within it. But one of their early efforts was 2008. And it's a, a nice, simple little thing, an acoustic version of um, From Me To You. And it's basically just about the power of, of giving a gift. And obviously the subtext is you're, it would really make people happy if you bought the gift from, from John Lewis. Uh, worth, but, worth mentioning for our, our international audience, John Lewis is a department store. Yeah. Okay. Um, and... You, you kind of wonder um, whether or not we could have stayed with that sort of... Because to me, that's that. I, I know there's elements of cynicism in there, but there's no great narrative. It shows a wide range of people. It's it's, it's nice and diverse and inclusive. Um, and, and it's just meant to make you feel good about what's going on. And, you know, if there's anything that you want, if there's anything I can do, just call on me and I'll send it along with love from me to you. Just fits perfectly with that in a way that, in my life doesn't quite work but um yeah but you know the, it, it's just a reminder isn't it that the um that the beatles 
um, let's not be pious about it. Um, I, I was watching the other day on on TV um, Paul and Linda's appearance in The Simpsons, which was nothing more than a glorified advert for her vegetarian products. So it's it's not unlike them to to do these kind of things. Um, there there is a little bit of a track record. Well, and Mr. McCartney is not shy about making money in any circumstances at yeah. all. You know, that's why he bought up vast tracts of uh, other people's music catalogues. That's why he overinvested in, uh, in in shares, which, you know, was one of the contentious yeah, issues yeah. in the breakup, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, there's, we definitely isn't something that we need to be um, too pious about. I think I'm correct in saying that John Lewis advert was the first time in the UK, at least, that any Beatles song was used in a commercial. Okay, that's interesting. That is interesting. I, I don't know. Um... I'm, I'm I'm willing to be corrected, but I'm reasonably sure. But John Lewis have had um, a couple more since then. There was a version of um, Golden Slumbers performed by Elbow, which I quite like. And, and it's, um, you know, a cute little um, advert about, um, you know, a boy. Kind of, it's a Michel Gondry produced, uh, directed advert. So it is open slight interpretation, but, you know, there's a monster under the bed. Um, kid makes friends with it. He's up late. Um, but all he really needs is a nightlight and then he'll get some proper sleep and that's fine. And then there's also a, another twee acoustic version of, of Real Love, which in itself is a bit of a twee acoustic, but never mind, let's not get into that. Um, but, you know, it, it, they're not the only examples. And in fact, I think those examples are at least, I'm going to say relatively tasteful. And, and I would recommend listeners... Google John Lewis Christmas adverts and then add in Golden Slumber's Real Love from Me to You. And you can then have a look at, at what we mean. Um, they're certainly an awful lot less cynical than um, Yoko Ono allowing footage of John Lennon talking to be used in a Citroen advert. For yeah, which is a really weird, a really weird choice there. Um, a lot of these um, Christmas adverts that you've been talking about, um, I only know through sort of YouTube or, or either yourself or other people sort of pointing me to because I lived abroad yeah. at the time. They, they were brought, like 2008. I was I was living in, in the Netherlands. Um, so I never I never saw any of these at all. So for me, they're very kind of context free. I never really ended up listening to them or watching them at Christmas it's you know it could be July so oh, have you seen this oh right, right enough um so a lot of them a lot of them passed me by but that Citroen one is just it's just such a weird choice and she can't need the money um so no. what is the I don't understand what the motivation is like like if it had been even if it like if it, say say it had been Olivia with George like George was a noted lover of cars you like he was a big Formula One fan like at least you but could say Citroen. like this yeah all right sure like, but Citroen but at least you could like say there was like a tangential connection yeah, yeah, yeah. or something yeah. but but Lennon I I I don't I've, I've never understood that one it's it, it's baffling to me well it's it's a long way from being the worst one i would oh, say yeah, and I, sure. I mean worst pejoratively uh i mean I, pejoratively did i mean that i don't know anyway straight down the line absolutely worse because the worst one i've seen by some way is an advert that ringo made where he <laughs> sits behind his drums waiting for the the band to turn up they've all been in touch they're all coming back excuse me and the joke is that actually it's various members of the monkeys and it's an advert for pizza hut so you know you've got the monkeys um and and at some point maybe this episode next episode i am gonna weave a bit of uh, mickey dolenz in 
but you've you've got the monkeys turning up. So you could argue that you know there are cut price Beatles, and they're advertising pizza, which let's face it is kind of like a lower class kind of pizza sort of thing. Um, yes, Pizza Hut, sue me. You're not as good as as some of the better pizza makers around there. Can we can we can we not encourage people to be litigious towards us, please? Well, you can't sue me for having a, an opinion. I don't think they're going to lose earnings as a result. I don't think our, our enormous listenership, dear listener, are suddenly going to go. Oh, I know Andrew on that Beatles podcast said Pizza Hut's a bit rubbish. Therefore, I'm not going to go there anymore. Um, you know, but that's fine. Um, but I, I I do think it's interesting how so many of these these adverts these. Christmas adverts use this kind of twee acoustic um, versions of songs, and and I sort of feel like it's an extension of something that started in in I think the mid nineties over here with a, a sort of ironic bossa nova cover craze, and also bands like the Mike Flowers Pops and, oh, and yeah, led Wonder to Wall groups like Hayseed Dixie in America, who are great fun. However. It is kind of like a one-note joke that stops being funny after a while. Um, but it's interesting because I talk a lot about, um, you know, the fact that the Beatles, when they cover a song, they tend to do straight covers, um, most of the time anyway. Um, and at least some of these are a little bit more radical. doesn't mean you have to like them, but it is a little bit more radical. And, and hey, folks, we might talk about that in the next episode, which is about... Bloody Holly's words of love. Spoiler. Anyway, okay, I've I've had I've had my say. Merry Christmas, everyone. Mistletoe and wine, and children singing Christian rhyme and all of that. Um, and um, yeah, can we make a direct link to eight days a week? Mm, Christmas week feels like it's got eight days and not seven. Woohoo! Oh, brilliant. That was <laughs> no. I wonder whether you wrote that in advance or whether that was just off the cuff. It's very no, I didn't tell. actually. I really didn't think you had so... <laughs> I trust that you're a better writer than that anyway all right let's let's crack on um yeah so um yes Merry Christmas everyone from from everybody and um, by everybody I mean both of us at, at, uh, at Beatles <laughs> Stuffology um have a wonderful festive period right this is like, oh, oh god right okay what do you want to say what do you want to say about it days a week oh right <laughs> okay yeah so I um... haven't got a smooth transition and I'm not going to try and invent one. No, it's fine. Eight days a week, um, you know, which is, I would imagine, one of those songs that even a lot of people who say they don't know much about the Beatles will be aware of. Although, funnily enough, when you start thinking about those that list of songs, it ends up becoming a lot larger than a lot of bands' back catalogue. You know, you could almost sort of go to about 20, maybe 30 songs where you'd say, well, I'd expect a significant number of, of people to at least be aware of that as, as a song, whether or not they've ever listened to it all the way through. It feels like it's one of those songs that still gets played quite a lot. But I also feel like it's one of those songs that doesn't quite earn its reputation um it, it it sort of has some kind of mythical status as being a classic piece of pop but then you listen to it again and you think oh it's, it's nice it's um you know it floats delicately lightly it's upbeat it seems to distill everything we think of as being the poppy beetle sound of say 64 and 65 but it is a bit 
I would say empty and I don't want to say vacuous um, it's all a little bit about nothing and and I don't know how much substance there is to it but because um, for me it sort of sits in 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 the middle you know it's in it's kind of in the clutch of a, a run of because it was an American single it wasn't a UK single but there, there's this run of American um, singles to get to number one uh, but I also think it kind of sits to the lower end of those in terms of quality so you've got um i feel fine in december 64 then you've got eight days a week in actually the spring of 65 ticket to ride help yesterday and we can work it out and you sort of think where eight days a week sits in terms of quality up against say again i feel fine ticket to ride help yesterday and we can work it out and you sort of think, well, it's, it's not quite up there with the rest of those is it no, but it's still. I'm. It's one of those songs that I really like. It. I, I agree with you. I don't think that there's necessarily a, a huge amount of substance behind it, but it is. It is very charming. It's a very. It's a very yeah. nice song to listen. To. It's a very easy song to play. This is my occasional drop into some chords. Um, but it's basically just like D E seventh G. Uh, there's a couple of B minors in there, and that's your lot. It's a very very simple song. But it's a very simple song that I think is probably done as well as you could do that kind of song. It's it. There are um, I think uh, seven chords in it roughly, um, and to write a song with that few chords with that sort of poppy and upbeat and and just very charming, I think it's about as good a job as you could probably do with it. It's not a substantial piece of work in any way um and i think for myself my opinion is somewhere in between yours and theirs which is to say i i do really i tell i do really like this song i know neither uh john lennon nor Parm mccartney rated it particularly highly um but i don't think they need to be as down on as it is because i think it's a really good example of this kind of song but yeah I, like you said like if you want to put it alongside i feel fine if you want to put it alongside something more meaningful like we can work it out it doesn't really have that kind of weight so for me i'm i'm somewhere in the middle there okay so maybe if i, I put it in uh, rather than compare it with the um the beatles what i'll do is um yeah, think of it this way the number one um songs in america before and after um eight days a week were my girl and stop in the name of love and i know my girl sort of has a bit of a twee reputation i think we can probably blame macaulay corkin for that um but the two of them are you know i think genuine stone dead classic pop songs that really kind of speak in 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 an interesting way and and i think that eight days a week kind of sits alongside it and sits alongside those quite nicely but not quite at the same level um and i, I think that's that's worth considering however that's not to say that all because normally i would say at this point it's you know um it's it's not a great it's not one of the best Beatles songs but it's still a lot better than the other things that people were producing at the time well do you know what some people were producing some absolute classics however my argument is slightly undermined by the fact that um over the following months the freddie freddie and the dreamers had a number one in america and then um herman's hermits had number ones in America with Mrs. Brown, You've Got a Lovely Daughter, 
and I'm Henry VIII. I am. I am. I'm Henry VIII. I am. <laughs> Talk about one are, note joke. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Oh dear. Oh dear. So perhaps you didn't have to be absolutely out of the top draw to to hit a number one um, in America. Uh, um, it also sort of says that maybe the British invasion um, was not necessarily the deepest, strongest thing um, you would ever come across in your life. No, well, that was. Okay. That was the next question I was going to ask you is, do you think, because the two songs that you cited either side of Eight Days a Week are both American and much, much better than... Um, the, Teddy and the, the Dreamers. <laughs> yes. As, yes. as is almost everything. Um, yeah. So, yeah, do we do we think that the, that's that's part of it, the fact that the, the, the British bands are there simply because they're part of that uh, Mercy Beat thing, they're part of the British invasion, and it really doesn't have much to do qualitatively with the music, but rather what it is that they're representing, which at the time is essentially a movement. Oh, it's, it, I think it's quite possible that, yeah, and maybe they were representing something that was different, that wasn't available in America, just as to a lot of the, the British beat bands, if you like, that sort of American music of the of the 50s represented something that wasn't available in the UK. There's, there's always that that sort of notion of the other, um, and in this case, the other as being something that is appealing, as opposed to the way that media likes to make the other something that's scary and daunting. Now, Daily Mail, I'm looking at you. Sue me if I know I'm not going to do that again. Um, yeah. Um, so I, I think there is there is that element. Um, I mean, I think it is noticeable that um, I'm. Notice, I think both of those Herman's Hermit songs were only released in America as singles. Now, you could say yes, but the same applies to Eight Days a Week. But I, I suspect that's because Herman's Hermits knew that those were you know, musical songs, effectively, and, and that they wouldn't have the same kind of appeal over here. And yet maybe there was something, you know, uniquely British about them. Remember, um, when we spoke about um, um, A Hard Day's Night, no, it wasn't a hard day's night, was it? I want to hold your hand. We we spoke about the Beatles' appearance on the Ed Sullivan show. Um, please go back and 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 listen to that episode because one of the things we spoke about was the fact that um, amongst the other performers on that show were oh look, it's another Monkeys reference. Davy Jones in the cast of of Oliver. So that was hitting the American market at that time. So there was that that kind of like British culture with an element of that that sort of music hall kind of style to it you know which is i realize that lionel bart's a little bit more than that but you could see that there's a there's a link yeah, in yeah, some way so maybe the whole package was quite appealing in a way that um that is, is hard for us to to think about now because i mean let's face it we could we could then we should really start again talking about the song itself and and actually we should recognize the fact that i feel fine that the previous single um, in America to eight days a week and um, eight days a week itself share something in that they've got innovative, innovative something wrong with the words today JG I'll, I'll get them together I think <laughs> they have innovative openings with I feel fine there's the the feedback element to it but what we get with eight days a week is as far as we're aware the first song to open with a fade in um, which is something quite remarkable, and, and certainly none of those other bands around at the time have the same legacy for um, attempting things like that. 
we're certainly not we're not hitting the, the top of the charts um in in the states for example so whatever i say about eight days a week we do need to bear in mind that even within it there's something special going on that they're trying stuff um and that perhaps the fact that they they seem to mark lewison says they this was the first song they took into the studio without being fully realized as a song meant that that they were stuck and they really had to work out okay well how are we going to open it how are we going to close it because it's innovative because the opening the 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 fade in and 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 the end of the song share um um you know a chord sequence but that doesn't appear anywhere else in the song so that in itself is is an interesting little idea the fact that you can create this sequence that works with the song that builds into it and then takes you away from it in the end but isn't jarring but then i get slightly worried that the, the, the best thing about the song is is that that fade in and fade out and the rest of it is all a bit kind of aren't we all lovely i love you you love me i love you long time um there you go oh, write that down what were the cause on that <laughs> GNC. Um, let's say. Yeah, it's it's interesting. The other thing that's worth mentioning in terms of the fade in is the fact that this song opens side two. Um, and so when you listen to it on streaming, it's slightly odd um, to cut from hey, 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 hey. Uh, and then you've got this slightly weird fade in. But if you're physically flipping a disc, it feels more. I don't know if logical is the correct word, but it, it feels like it is part of the uh, experience of listening to it. Um, I know that one of the things that has been said by them is this idea like, oh, you like the music is the, the, the music has started before the song does. So, you know, it's already going and then you kind of you join it. And it's kind of it's interesting to see it used that way um and it it works in terms of being the opener for side two as well again we we finished with um kansas city hey 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 on the last side so we've got a little bit of energy back into the album um and the fade-in kind of keeps that going rather than dissipating it and it's not I mean, it's not an awful lot of songs that use fade-ins, um, and they're often uh, they're often used for sort of dramatic uh, techniques, so th like something like um, "Life During Wartime" on "Fear of Music," "Talking Heads." That fades in and then fades out, and it's a fairly extended fade-in and a fairly extended fade-out because the idea is, is that kind of we're sort of dramatically dropping into this this kind of ongoing thing so we come in we get to see a bit of it it comes out again um that's the function I, of it i believe you'll find the term is in media res yes well i'm trying to i was trying so hard to avoid saying that i was really really working hard not to oh, like so i'm very conscious i'm very conscious of bs bingo so i just i didn't want to start going i don't always, think we've used always, media res before in fairness, no but you always so. judge me if i drift off into another language so i was trying not to do that yeah especially because um, you would have rolled your r's on res exactly in media well. res so uh, but anyway that's not what the fade-in is used for here it it's it's just a way of drawing the listener back in here we go we're kicking off site to come join us on on this thing and it's 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 very effective at that for such a such a simple little thing to be done yeah nobody's ever done it before it looks obvious now but it absolutely wasn't in 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 the early 60s so it's 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 just it's a great little moment and that's what this song is full of it isn't it isn't a great restatement of anything with just so many lovely little moments in it and and that's one of them
Are we assuming with that, though, that they had already decided the track order once they decided on the introduction? Or is that something that perhaps they heard, having done that fade introduction, thought, oh, that might be good at the start of, of side two? I don't know if you've looked into um, anything in relation to that. Um, as far as I know, the, the, I think George Martin was still mostly in control of the track listing, so. but but the, but they would have more input at this stage. So it, it would likely be some kind of collaborative thing. Um, but like, you know, George Martin's not going to miss a trick like that. Simple as that. No. Look, here we go. He knows how to structure an album. We've discussed it enough times in the podcast not to have to go into it in great detail here. But he knows how to structure an album. And this is a perfect way to open side too. So... It's, it's. I would say it's relatively clear cut. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I do kind of get the feeling that that you know Martin was very keen on having a a strong opening and certainly a song that was potentially considered um, a single in the UK, even though it never was. Um, and I'm, I'm sure for some reason, for many years, I thought it was just so familiar that I thought it must have been. I think um, everybody makes that assumption about this song because it is so well known. Obviously, yeah. the fact that it, it's helped by you know the, the the sales in America, but yeah, it's just such a familiar piece of music. And you know, for one that that never got played live, it never got dragged out. Like the band were pretty down on it; they thought it was a very slight piece of work. But yeah. it's just yeah, it's just instantly familiar to everyone. Yeah, we'll come back to that um, the live element of it because there, there's something um, interesting related to that, that that I do want to uh, come back to um, but I also want to um, sort of mention that, that I, I think something I've shared with, with um, you before JG is um, a link to uh, the Stereo Gum um, column online that, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. that runs through the, um, the American number ones in order and I keep forgetting to go back and it sometimes I vehemently disagree uh, sometimes I agree but it's a really interesting sort of cultural look at what was number one in america and you can sort of see the very significant uh cultural and even ethnic change to the acts that are selling huge amounts in the the mid to late 80s and then definitely into the into the 90s as well um and and the the person that does it sometimes feels like he's a bit down on the beatles um without particular reason but I think what he says about um, eight days a week is is interesting. He, he says it's a perfectly amiable replacement level early Beatles uh, uh, stuff, which I, I think is is absolutely fine. I mean, he mentions the whole thing about the phrase that McCartney heard from a chauffeur. I don't think we particularly need to. I mean, it's probably covered in in other podcasts. I'm sure. Yeah, we don't need to um, that. Yeah, Beatles sort out or nothing is real. Probably gone into that in in great depth and probably vastly more accurately than we ever could. Hi guys. Hope you're listening. Um, and, um, but he, he says, so as far as the early Beatles singles go, eight days a week was quite possibly the flattest. Okay. But compared to almost everything else, everything that anyone else was doing, it's still a banger. It's a slower song than much of what the band was doing at the time, which is interesting, uh, built on a bright and friendly chug. And sure, the lyric is dumb and simple, and nothing about the song screams genius. But this band was so tuned in to writing pop music that even a lesser effort was full of these effective little touches. The guitar stabs that sound like hand claps. I thought there were hand claps on it, never mind. The warm and gooey bass tone. The way those harmonies hit on the chorus. The Beatles would go on to do better, but they'd go on to do worse too. I think that's that's a, a fairly 
accurate um, summary of, of of the song. You know, it is it's not top level Beatles, but it's still pretty darn good. Uh, right, firstly, there are hand claps on the song, but I think what he means is that there's um, syncopated guitars on it, so the guitar like okay. so, cha cha cha. So it's not just a straightforward rhythm play. I think that's what that's referring to, but okay. there are definitely hand claps There's in the song. There's definitely hand claps, yeah. 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 Um, a bit, a bit uh, worried about that otherwise. And, you know, the, the harmonies, particularly on the, you know, on the words eight days a week, is pretty effective. Yeah, and the and the uh, the the uh, the fact that the instruments stop on that eight days a week, I love, uh, love you, pause, da-dum, and then back into it again. So yeah, there's I tension... I don't like this, that so much. Yeah, this 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 good tension being built there. Um, other thing, other sort of point I want to make. Um, just before we move on from it, in terms of the familiarity of this song, is that it's on one, and one is the biggest selling album of the two thousands. So there's a massive exposure to it in a way that isn't necessarily all that visible i guess uh but yeah it's yeah it's and yeah as you pointed out it's it's squeezed in between i feel fine and um ticket to ride so that also really helps to to push its visibility in in a way that kind of you know gets over that fact that it was never a single in in the uk there are other sources uh for it to be that i can't remember it so the Red and Blue albums as well? I probably should have looked that up. Um, I'm going to do it right now. I'm sorry, guys. I'm going to do a quick live... Uh, I should know this, right? That's, that's terrible. Uh, uh, yeah, it's on the original Red album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that's, that's another... Those albums sold, you know a bajillion copies or something. And and so that's another way that, that, that people will come to the song, way, way, way apart from, from you know, its, its native album. I find that interesting because I, I've never owned the Red or Blue, and I didn't buy one. And as I've said before, around the time of Anthology, I was not really, I, was, I wasn't really watching much television, quite frankly. So I've never I've never seen the, the, the series. Um, but also I wasn't, buying that sort of music at the time and um, the only Beatles compilations I can remember having were the oldies but goodies might have been on that I suppose and Hey Jude which I had on cassette with the hilariously um, hairy pictures on, on the front um, so it's interesting that it's it's wormed its way into my consciousness as well perhaps I've just listened to a bit too much AM radio uh, it's it's always possible. Um, uh, a hasty bing, uh, as I am wont to do, tells me uh, that uh, it's not on Oldies but Goldies. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Lord knows where I've, I've got all that from then. I have no idea. I'm unable to help you on that yeah. one. Uh, it is inter- the, the anthology version of this is is kind of passingly interesting. Uh, it's taken at a slightly slower pace, and McCartney's walking bass line is much more prominent uh, in 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 the anthology version. And hmm. and the the, the um, what do you call it? The uh, the chorus is is slightly different as well. So it's it's kind of an interesting version. It's not. Okay. I wouldn't go so far as to use the word indispensable, but it's again, it's it's interesting simply in the in the sense that you see the evolution of the song. The the, the anthology version is uh, is interesting for being a bit slower, but it also it, it's a bit 
plodding and i don't think that's just kind of familiarity bias i think it just it doesn't quite have the same sparkle to it when it's taken at a slightly slower pace speeding it up which again almost certainly be a george martin thing helps to like breathe life into it. it it gives it that extra little dimension that the song needs to to kind of get it across the line uh so yeah it's kind of interesting but it's not the most essential cut from anthology okay okay that's interesting i'll i'll, uh, I'll maybe have a little look and and see what i can find i suppose the other reason you mentioned exposure earlier which is probably a good time to mention uh ron howard now before his lawyers also get in touch i i should probably just sort of mention the fact that the extra exposure that the um that the name of the song brought because of ron howard's documentary about the beatles touring years called eight days a week because you know they toured quite a lot well perhaps not quite as much as you might think but however they did tour a lot um but it just seems so odd that although it's a really handy phrase that they were allowed to call it that bearing in mind there is only as far as i'm aware one live recording of um um or one live performance of eight days a week and that was on the itv tv program thank you lucky stars in march 1965 so it just seems really really odd and and to compound that the official beatles youtube channel has a uh, a video and an official video of the song which i'm presuming was designed to support and promote the film um because it uses a lot of that very obvious footage from the the last couple of um beatles tours in america you know, so walking out of Shea Stadium, walking out of Candlestick Park and, and, and that sort of thing. It just seems like a really odd thing to have done. It's almost as though just because it's one of those quirky phrases like, you know, a hard day's night, that it kind of lives in the memory because of that. And therefore it's distinct. Everybody knows it, so we'll use it, even though it's stunningly inappropriate because they didn't play it live. What do you think of that, Ron Howard film? Um, I thought it was a bit dull, um, but then I, I look back on, on some of those um, films that, that try and cover a lot in one go mm. uh, as being a bit odd. There was a Nick Brumfield film um, about uh, Brian Jones that, that was shown on, on British TV a few months ago, and it got some absolute rave reviews. And yet I watched it, and after about 25 minutes or so, I just, I just got really irritated by the storytelling and the fact that um, the, the pictures didn't match the hyperbole of, of Nick Broomfield or any of the contributors. And it's not, if you're going to say that there was a riot every time the Rolling Stones played on stage, well, can we have some, something that proves that? Let's have some newspaper headlines or let's have, you know, if there's any footage. Don't just keep showing the one... Uh, one particular clip where someone runs on stage and someone else is is doing something a bit naughty and it's clearly not even the gig that you're talking about so and, and yeah I, I think sometimes little things like that kind of throw me out of it and i i guess it's a little too polished it's a little too nice and i didn't really feel as though it was aimed at someone who knows more than a passing amount about the Beatles. So, you know, again, it's like, who's it for? I don't understand who it's for 
Um, That's exactly what my reaction to it was. I, di I didn't really understand who it was for, and I didn't really understand what it existed for, it, 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 other than for the sake of it. it it's really very ordinary. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it repeats a lot of very familiar material, like exactly like you were saying with the video, like a lot of very familiar shots. Um, and it just, it's just really rather dull. It just doesn't have anything... It doesn't add anything. I think that's the thing. It, it, it feels more like a work of filing than it does a work of cinema. It's just like, all right, well, we've got all this stuff in one place, so that's great. Now you can see it all in one place. Next. It's, it, it's, it's not adding to the sum total of Beatles knowledge. It's not a new look at the material. It's not getting, you know, McCartney or Ringo to say something new about it. They just trot out the same old cliches about how hard it was and the Philippines and I'm not a Beatle anymore and all this kind of stuff. It's just it's just the same old kind of tick box storytelling. It's just it's just really rather ordinary. Rather ordinary. Well, it's not quite my my summation of the song. Um but you know we're we're almost there with that. Uh, there is, but there is, by the way, a really confusing release history for for this song because, of course, it was on Beatles for Sale in the UK late '64. It was on an American, it was American single released in February '65, and it was also on the Beatles um, sixth VI to use their my old Roman um, Latin expertise there uh, album in in America in '65, along with half of the Beatles for Sale that didn't make it on to the Beatles 65 album, which was actually released in 1964. Um, have you got that? Is, is that all clear? Um, I think that all makes absolutely subtle sense, yeah. Yeah, um, there you go. Um, yeah, we'll be we'll be out with the um, um, the in-laws in the good old US of A for, for Christmas. Actually, by the time you hear this episode, we might even be on the way, I think. Um, and and he's got some of those those albums. And looking uh, at you know the father-in-law's record collection last year and thinking, my God, they screwed up the Beatles albums in America really quite badly. Oh um, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the only one they might have got right was was Magical Mystery Tour. Um, but that's a story for twenty twenty seven, possibly. Um, we'll we'll see. We'll get there eventually. Uh, we'll get there eventually. Uh, it also applies to the end of Beatles for Sale. But we're <laughs> one song closer and we're into side two. Do you say side two or, or, or side or B side? Why is it A side and B side for a single, but side one, side two for an album? I'm unable to answer that question. But okay, that's good. Let's, good let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right, fine. Shall we give this a score and, and draw things to a conclusion? Yeah, um, I oh, see. I'm, I'm going to have to look up the the spreadsheet at this point. Aren't oh, I? okay. So, oh, oh, um, oh, oh. So, man, Google's Google's. Yeah. Anyway, you won't you talk about it, and and while you you're talking, I promise I'll listen, um, and then I'll tell you what I think. <laughs> that's that's a very uh, kind offer. Um, I I'm going to be quite generous with this one. I'm going to give it a seven. I think uh, it it's just a nice little song. I really like. It. I really enjoy playing it, which I must be honest colors my opinion of it. It's got uh, a, a a really uh, lovely little McCartney bass line, which we haven't talked about, but it's really good. And I just I just really like this song. I I don't have any more sort of depth of insight than that. It's, it's Sometimes you just kind of like something and this is kind of one of those. 
Okay, so looking at the spreadsheet, I feel fine was was a seven. Um, let's see, things we said today was an eight. Um, and I love her. I gave seven two. I should have known better was a seven. Hard days night. I can't. I can't put it alongside hard days night. I, I. I think that's that's the problem. Or or I feel fine. Um, I. I think. I, I'm quite happy to sit it alongside uh, things like, um, oh, I see that I'm putting alongside Kansas City. Uh, all right, okay, just say six and be done with it. Six, um, okay. Yeah. See, if only, if only you used half points, then uh, you could have given it six and a half, and then you'd be well, slightly better than Kansas City, but not quite well, full on hard days night. But, you know, yeah. you, you restrict yourself in the ways that work for you. That's all well, I Well, you say. decided this bleeding score system, and <laughs> you right. wanted it. Um, <laughs> and I, I still I, do. <laughs> I mean, nothing to do with it, but you know, we leave that sort of thing to the good guys at Big Beetle Sort Out with their really bizarre. Hello again, Big Beetle Sort Out. I do like your podcast, um, but I wish you'd explain your scoring system at some point. Um, it was quite funny listening to their now and then episode um, where you just said, "Oh, in production, oh, I'll give it, I don't know, eighty-three." Okay, what does that mean? I mean, eighty-three out of a hundred. How does that compare? What what did you give this song or that song? Um, but even they will admit that they've, they've hampered themselves with their scoring system. Um, and they do theirs out of 100. We do ours out of 10. Makes no sense. <laughs> Good. The less sense it makes, the happier I am. Right. Um, <laughs> too bad. We can really get a hold of us. We hope that you will. It's been lovely to have a little bit of uh, listener correspondence over the last couple of episodes. So if you would like to, uh, you can contact us by email. We are beetlestuffology at gmail.com. We are on Twitter for reasons that uh, I don't really understand anymore um at beetles underscore ology uh, and we are beetle stuffology on instagram you can find my blog at www.jgmacquarie.scot uh, please also check out my other podcast which is talking trek to you where we're a noob and an expert which would be me uh, uh go through the original star trek series episode by episode Please like, rate, and review us on whatever podcast you're using so that more people can find the show. Uh, we carry on with side two of Beatles for Sale next episode with Words of Love. And as always, we hope you're going to join us for us. But until then, keep listening.